0: All right, uh, good evening, brothers and sisters in the faith. I do apologize for having our Bible study scheduled for now. That's because we have some, uh, well, travel plans that we had to accommodate. So before we begin, we ask everyone to please stand for our opening prayer. Almighty and merciful Father, thank you so much for our life and our strength. We believe that each and every time we have the opportunity to study your holy words together, it is truly beneficial for us. Because your words not only nourish and strengthen us, it guides us and gives us hope. And so we look forward to this day to receive again your holy commands and instructions. Bless our hearts and our minds that we might be receptive, Father, to the work of your Holy Spirit. Please completely forgive our sins. We ask and beg all things in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, again, thank you so much for joining our Bible study for tonight. We're excited because we have two Bible studies for you, one at 7 o'clock and one at 8 o'clock p.m. So we have to finish this one by 8 o'clock, so we're going to go kind of fast. We have a lot of material to cover. And so we're going to talk about the promised seed, the second Adam. In our previous studies, we talked about the Garden of Eden, the paradise of God, which brings up a question I want to pose to all of you. In the next slide, this is what it says. What is more difficult, you think? Getting to paradise or staying in paradise? What do you think is more difficult? <laughs> getting to paradise or once you get there, staying in paradise? Maybe we can put it this way. What is more difficult, getting to your ideal weight and or staying at your ideal weight? You know, sometimes it's more difficult to stay in a place where you have reached than to kind of stay there, right? However, I think it would be more difficult to get to paradise, right, than it is to stay in paradise. Because right now, we are basically on our way to the true paradise, the kingdom of God in heaven. We are journeying there. Now, if it's difficult to journey there, we need to all the more protect ourselves because If we look back in the past, Adam and Eve, all they had to do was stay in paradise, and it was very difficult for them. So what we're going to study today in Genesis chapter 3 are some of the things that we can do, lessons we can learn from Genesis 3 so that we can preserve our journey, our path to the kingdom of heaven. So to give you a snapshot of what we're going to learn, next slide, we're going to divide this study into three parts. First part, Satan's fourfold strategy to deceive. Okay, next part, the seven consequences of sin. And the last part, the promised seed. The second, Adam. So let's go to the first part, the Satan's fourfold strategy. We have to remember, Satan will attack us. And he will intensify his attack when he knows he has a little time left. When the end of the world is near, you can count on him not taking any breaks he's going to devour like a lion devouring a prey he's going to attack us he's going to focus his attack against those who are on their way to salvation this is why we need to know the strategy of the enemy so we can best protect and defend ourselves from him so what is satan's strategy number one it is basically to discredit the character of God because if he can convince you that God is not really good then of course he can win you over to his side how does he do that in the Garden of Eden Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made he said to the woman Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden the serpent mentioned there is not really a serpent. This is Satan disguised as a serpent. He was speaking to Eve. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say, you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Now let's pause there for a while. Is that what God said? Did God say to Adam and Eve, you cannot eat from any tree in the garden? Is that what God said? I don't think so. If you still remember back in Genesis chapter 2, Next slide, this is what God said to Adam. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and it produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed a tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the Lord God warned him, you, must freely, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to Did God say to Adam and Eve that you cannot eat from any of the trees there in the garden? That's not what God said. In fact, God said the trees he made were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. And he even added, you may freely eat of every fruit of every tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you see how the devil twisted it? making God look oppressive, right? You, can, you cannot eat from any of the trees. That's not what God said. But the enemy wants to discredit God, and so the enemy wants to make God appear to be oppressive. Now, this command that God gave, who was he speaking to there? Eve. Not Eve. Who was it? Adam. Eve wasn't around yet. He wasn't created yet. He was speaking to Adam. So the first command that God gave, he spoke to Adam. Adam is supposed to communicate that to Eve. Well, did Adam do a good job? Or did Eve do a good job of uh, learning what Adam taught him? Uh, Genesis chapter 3, 2 down to 3. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not Touch it or you will die. Wait a minute. Did God actually say you cannot touch it? It wasn't included in the command. God said you cannot eat from it. You know, this is a good example of transmitting information from one person to the next. And when you do that, you kind of add and subtract things and you don't do a good job. There's always misinformation when you transmit information from one person to the next. Remember, this is Adam and Eve. Adam said you cannot eat from the tree of of the knowledge of good and evil. What did Eve say? What was his interpretation? You can't even touch it. Just to give you an idea of how easily we can misinterpret information, this is why we should not speak about other people behind their backs because there's a good chance we're not going to represent the information with 100% accuracy. So that is uh, the, the ploy of Satan. Number one, he wants to make God appear oppressive so that you can be on his side. What is strategy number two? He wants to create doubt in the word of God, how did he do that in the Garden of Eden? Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say, you know, by asking that question, did God really say, what did he do? He planted a seed of doubt. That's what he wants to do. He wants to cause Adam and Eve to doubt the word of God. Isn't that what he does today? This is why there are people who say, is the Bible really the word of God? Or maybe it's just a man-made book. Because if we think it's just a man-made book and it's not really the word from God, then you get a vict- Satan gets a victory. He is on his way to deceiving us. He wants us to doubt That the Bible is indeed the word of God. Well, what is strategy number three? It's basically to negate the word of God. In other words, God says this, and Satan will say, no, that's not true. Well, how did that happen? The Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3 and the verses 4, Satan says, you won't die. God says, you will die. Satan says, you won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, you know, do you think that the devil would have succeeded if he skipped the first two parts, causing, you know, creating this idea that God is oppressive and then planting the seed of doubt? If Satan went straight to say to Eve, you won't die if you eat from that fruit, do you think he would have succeeded? Probably not. This is why he's crafty. He prepares you to disobey the command of God. And so before he tells you not to do what God wants you to do, before he negates the word of God, he preps you up with his crafty strategies. What is strategy number four? The killer. Let's read. uh, Next slide. uh, Satan's strategy number four. Offer a false but irresistible promise. What? What? Was that irresistible promise that the devil offered to Adam and Eve? Genesis chapter 3, verse 5 God knows that your eyes will be open, and as soon as you eat it, you're not going to die. Instead, you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And so, rather than telling Adam and Eve the truth, he told them a lie. And he offered them a false promise. You will be like God. And of course, who would not want to be like God? Satan became Satan because he wanted to be like God. Now he's offering that same temptation to Adam. And Eve: you will be like God, what do you think? Do you think Satan also offers this temptation, this false promise to humanity today? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I don't know if you're aware of this. But one of the most powerful religions in the world today, you know what it is? Not Catholicism, not Protestantism, not Islam. You know what? One of the most powerful religions in the world is today. It's called humanism. New age material. Have you heard of that before? Right? What's the basic essence of new age stuff? Because there are so many people today who are into self help. You ever go to the library? Or go to a bookstore and look at the self-help uh, rack on the bookstore. There's thousands of books, self-help. There's something wrong with helping yourself. But if you go too far, when it offers you the message of you can be your own God, that's different. That's not from God anymore. That's from who? That's from the enemy of God. So I remember not too long ago, there was this book that was very popular. It's called The Secret. Heard about that? What is it about? It's about your thoughts. It can create something in the universe. Yeah, just by thinking about something, just by wishing it hard enough, it will manifest itself in the universe. That's dangerous because it makes you into a God that can manipulate the universe. No, only God has the power to create. Only God has the power to manifest anything in the universe. This is why we have to be careful with replacement theology, with new age and materials related to new age that is creeping up into the mind of so many people. Brethren, we must not become our own gods. Rather, we must depend upon our almighty God. So those are the four strategies. Next slide. Number one, discredit the character of God. Make him look oppressive Number two, create doubt in the Word of God. Number three, negate the Word of God. And number four, offer a false but irresistible promise or temptation. Did he succeed? He did. Can he succeed today? You bet. This is why we have to protect ourselves from Satan's strategy. Next slide. How do we do that? What's protection number one? Next slide. You must believe in the goodness of God. James 1, 16, 018, do not be deceived. My dear friends, every good gift and every perfect present comes from heaven. It comes down from God, the creator of the heavenly lights, who does not change or cause darkness by turning. By his own will, he brought us into being through the word of truth, so that we should have first place among all his creatures, so that we will not be deceived by the enemy We need to believe God is good all of the time because sometimes when we go through suffering and trial, tribulation, persecution, we begin to think maybe God is not good, right? We're tempted to to think that. God is not good. God is not on my side. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect present is from God. He does not change at all. If he was good back then, he's good today. He's perfectly good. We need to believe in this character of God That everything he does and everything he gives us is for our own benefit and for our own good. What's protection number two? We need to trust the word of God. Psalms 19, 7 to 8, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Why must we trust in the Word of God? The instructions of the Lord are perfect. The commands of God are right, bringing joy to the heart. In fact, one of the reasons why we decided to come up with the Bible History Project is for you to see with yourself, for you to experience for yourself how trustworthy the words of God are recorded in the Bible. So far, we've only studied chapter one and chapter two. Now we're studying chapter three, and already we can see wonderful truths in God's book. We want to develop that trust in the word of God. What's protection number three? Reject the lies of the adversary. What's the warning of the Apostle Paul? Second Thessalonians 2 9 to 10. The man of sin will come with the power of Satan. He will use every kind of power, including miraculous and wonderful signs. This is why, just because there are miracles, it doesn't mean you ought to believe it. as coming from God. Why? Because even the devil can conjure up miracles. But they will be lies, the Bible says. He will use everything that God disapproves of to deceive. To deceive those who are dying. Those who refuse to love the truth that would save Them and so, what is protection number three? Let us reject the lies of the adversary. How will we know if they are lies? We have to compare it to a standard. What is that? The word of truth, the word of God. This is why we have to compare everything to what the Bible says. If it's off or against what the Bible teaches, it's not a truth from God, it could be a lie that is from the enemy. What's protection number four? Next slide, focus on the great future God plans for us. Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But a scripture says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined the things that God has prepared for those who love Him. How many here want to go to heaven? Raise your hand. If you want to go to heaven, how many want to go to heaven tonight? <laughs> Huh. <laughs> you know, first question, everyone's hand was raised. Right? I want to go to heaven, brother. But the second question, want to go to heaven tonight, all of a sudden, mm, <laughs> maybe not tonight. You know, why do people react that way? Because for some reason, they don't think what God is preparing is really all that nice. It might be boring there, brother. And so they think they can create a better heaven for themselves here on earth. There's nothing wrong with having ambitions and dreams for a better life here on earth. However, we need to understand what God is preparing for each one of us, what God is preparing in the kingdom of heaven. We can't even imagine that. It's way more beautiful than what we can even imagine. This is why we should focus on the things of heaven because we can be so easily distracted by the things here on earth. And so we need to get excited about God's promise in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Next slide. So protection from Satan's strategy. Number one, believe that God is good all the time. Number two, trust that the Bible indeed is the word of God. Number three, reject the lies of the adversary. Compare spiritual truths with spiritual truths. Number four, focus on the great future that God has planned for each and every one of us. This is how we can protect ourselves from Satan's Strategies. Another way by which we can develop a mindset against sin is by understanding the consequences of sin. See, whether we like it or not, brothers and sisters, if we commit sin, there's going to be what? A consequence. Can our sins be forgiven? Yeah, but the consequences will be there. <laughs> you get it? We will be forgiven, but the consequences are going to last. What are some of the consequences of sin? Next slide. There are seven, right, in Genesis chapter 3, at least seven, that we came up with. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, what is one? It says here, to the woman. Raise your hand if you are a woman. (laughs) Half of you here are women. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Oh no! But Rassar is going to—he's looking, <laughs> looking with razor-sharp focus towards his beloved wife. He will rule over you. You know what are some of the consequences of sin? One is pain and suffering, and this is often depicted when it comes to childbearing, right? And those of you who gave birth before, you know about the pain. Right? You know, it's been said that take away all the medical anesthesia, the most painful experience a human being can ever endure childbirth. (laughs) It's a consequence of sin. Not only that, but for women specifically, the men will always rule over you. This is why, if you read the history of humanity, who are always being oppressed? Women, right? Even today. (laughs) Even today right women for some reason they're always being oppressed however nowadays a lot of uh especially when i'm looking around here (laughs) a lot of you are it's the other way around i guess (laughs) no you cannot undo the will of god but this pain and suffering that exists which is the consequence of sin is not just for women the book of Job, chapter 14, 1 to 2, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. This is why we cannot erase pain and suffering no matter how rich you are, no matter how wise you are, no matter how young you are. It doesn't matter where you live. If it's here on planet Earth, there's going to be pain and suffering. If you're a human being, if you're not a robot, if you're a human being, you're going to experience trouble, pain, and suffering as a matter of fact if you get a chance and go out camping how many here has gone camping before the last time i went camping was in 1992 i think <laughs> it was a long time ago but next time you go out camping next slide you know somebody once noticed this some have called our attention to the fact that nature sings in minor key listen to the sound of nature It sings in minor key. The wind blowing through the pine trees on a mountainside and the breaking of the surf on some lonely shore both emit the same sob. Isn't that true? (laughs) The music of trees has been recorded, and it is doleful, sad. The startled cry of some fighting animal or bird pierces the night air and chills the blood. When you listen to the sounds of nature, It produces melancholy, sadness. Human beings produce sadness. So does everything else. Why is that? What else is the consequence of sin? Number two, creation has been cursed. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, to Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, will eat of it all the days of your life. So the earth, the ground, has been cursed. This is why it's not as efficient as it should be when it comes to producing fruit. Just today, uh, in our backyard, we planted some avocado trees. you know that? And the avocado experts tell us it'll take four years. <laughs> four years before the first avocado will appear. <laughs> It could have been a lot better, right? But because of the curse, the ground has been affected. Not only the the ground, what else? Isaiah 24, 19 and 20, the earth will crack and shatter and split open. The earth itself will stagger like a drunk, sway like a hut in the storm. The world is weighed down by its sins. It will collapse and never rise again. This is why the earth is a violent place to live. Earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, so on and so forth, natural disasters. The world is being weighed down by its sins. Not just the world, but creation itself. Next slide Romans chapter 8, verse 21. The creation itself would one day be set free. Why does it need to be set free? From its slavery to decay and would share the glorious freedom of the children of god everything that the eyes can see in other words all things created is subject to decay this is why human beings they go from being born baby to what old and then dead and when you bury it into the ground it becomes what bones right everything goes through the process of decay food is the same thing the universe is running down everything that's been created it goes through the process of decay because all of creation is under the curse of god so it's the second consequence of sin what else number 3 there's going to be a need to toil genesis 3:18 to 19 it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken for dust you are and to dust you will Return. This is why we cannot afford to be lazy. The Bible says, from the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. This is why for many, many people, they cannot avoid work. And for many, many people, work is toil. They're not enjoying what they're doing. Again, this is a product of the fall. What else? Next slide. Number four, death has been appointed. Genesis 3, verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken for dust, you are, and to dust you will return. And so because of the fall, because of the sin of mankind, sin of death was introduced in what sense? Next slide, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. And so there's going to be judgment. And death appointed for man, not just the first death, but but also the second death, which is what, which is the punishment in the lake of fire. So the first four consequences of sin are all physical. The next three, what do you think is going to be psychological, right? Which is which also affects our spirituality. What's the next? Consequence of sin. Let's go back to Genesis chapter three and the verses seven. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. So after the sin was committed, immediately, what happened to them? They felt what shame so badly they had to sew fig leaves. And they wore that as their clothing. Fig leaves? I wonder how comfortable that would be. (laughs) I wonder how many pieces of fig leaves they put together. But that's what they did. They felt shame. You know what shame is? You know what shame is? What's the difference between guilt and shame? When it's guilt, we feel remorseful about something we did. But when we transfer that definition of something we did that's wrong and make it us. When it's about us, for example, we did something that's wrong and we say we're unworthy, we're bad. When we become identified to it, that's, because, that's shame. You know how problematic shame is psychologically? It's the reason why people commit suicide. It's the reason why people cannot have intimacy with their partners. It's the reason why people don't get along with others because of the shame that's been built up over the years because of the message of shame that they have inculcated in themselves. Next slide. And so shame basically is the intensely painful feeling that we are unworthy of love. When you feel that way, when you cannot be loved by other people, you feel so bad about yourself, and so you don't take care of yourself. You begin to do destructive things because you say to yourself, you're not worthy. You become a martyr. And deep down inside, One of the root causes of psychological problems today, it's shame. Because when they were growing up as kids, they did not get the message from the parents that they loved them. And so they felt shame that they're not worthy enough of that love. And they take that with them to adulthood, and it's destroying them. Because all this time when they were growing up, they felt ugly, bad, selfish, worthless, stupid, careless, hopeless, and it affects them with so much misery. That's one of the products of sin. What else? Number six, Genesis chapter 3, verse 10. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Shame often breeds fear. It leads to fear. And when it comes to the reason why people are not successful nowadays is because of fear. The fear to be successful, the fear of rejection, the fear to speak out the truth. And so when a person's afraid, he even becomes afraid to be with his God. Next slide. And so fear leads to paralysis. You don't do the things you know you need to do. How many here have always had a dream and an ambition, but because of fear of something, it has held them back. I think a lot of us have been held back by fear before, right? <clears throat> Whether we like to admit it or not. Fear came from the Garden of Eden after the fall. What else? Next slide. Number seven, the last one, Genesis 3, 11 to 13. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? What did the man say? (laughs) The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit and I ate it. And the Lord God asked the woman, okay, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied, that's why I ate it. And so what do you notice about this passage? Yeah, they're pinpointing, they're looking for someone else to blame. The man blamed who? Eve. And Eve blamed who? Satan. And who did Satan blame? Maybe God. (laughs) I don't know, right? And so this is the mindset of many people today. It's called the victim Mindset and I see that happening all the time. You know, I've been taking care of a church, right? I've been a pastor of congregations for over 15 years. And every single time there's a couple or a person who has problems with their life, every single time, 100%, it's because they have a victim mindset. They like to blame things. Oh, it's because this happened. It's because of him, because of her. Right? Why didn't you finish college? Oh, because this happened in my neighborhood. Why did you turn out like that? Because my parents, they blame everything on their parents, right? They blame everything on their upbringing. You know, brethren, this victim mindset is going to keep you stuck. It's not going to help you go to where God wants you to go. Remember, every individual God created in his image. You know why? Because God has productive work for them to do. Every individual has gifts inside them. But because they're held back by fear and shame and the victim mindset, it doesn't come forth. You know, if we can erase shame and fear and a victim mindset, we can erase 99% of human misery. And this is why a lot of the misery that people experience today, it all came as a consequence of the fall, next slide, when you, become, when you think you're a victim, next slide, you begin to ask yourself, why me? And so you begin to sulk instead of realizing that no matter what happens to you, you still have the power to us to choose. We have to regain back that power to choose. God has given us the power to choose. Nobody should make that choice for us. We should make that choice, and God tells us, you can always choose between life or death but choose life, right? Nobody and nothing can make us do anything. It's our choice. We have to take ownership of the things that happen to us and where we are headed, no matter what has happened to us. Because when we think of our life together, we all came from this institution, right? And we were exiled from that institution. And so a lot of us have this mindset that we're a victim. No, we got to change that. We can make choices in our life. God has a purpose in our life. We need to follow God's purpose. But there's so many things working against us because of the fall. The consequences of sin. Next slide. What are they again? Number one, pain and suffering. Creation has been cursed. The need to toil. Death is appointed. Shame, fear, and a victim mindset. Poor mankind, right? Are we going to blame everything on Adam and Eve? We could, but we shouldn't. You know why? Next slide. Because even if we have given up on ourselves, who hasn't given up on us? Yeah. There's something you want to see in Genesis chapter 3. After the epic failure of Adam and Eve, guess what? God did not abandon them. You would have thought, okay, I'm going to abandon Adam and Eve. I told them to do this. They did not listen to me. They listened to the adversary. This is what happened to them. I'm going to abandon Adam and Eve. Is that what God did? You know what happened after they ate the fruit? Did God leave them alone to their misery and condemnation? What did God do? Next slide. Genesis 3, 8 to 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? The Bible says God walked in the garden. Was it a literal God that walked? No, he's spirit, right? It was the presence of the Lord God. Did God not know where Adam and Eve were? He knows. But he asked the question to them that he also asks of us today. What is that? Where are you? You see, when we commit sin and we fail, just like Adam and Eve, it's, of course, natural to feel shame, right? And because of your shame, I disappointed God. You have, there's this tendency to hide from him because we're afraid we're going to be rejected. So there's a shame and fear of rejection. I messed up. I failed. How is God going to deal with me now? Adam and Eve felt the same way. And so they kind of accepted their fate. But God, God says, where are you? Can you imagine the mercy and compassion of God? Despite our epic failure, God says, where are you? This is also the question God asks each of us. Where are you? You see, God takes the initiative. When sometimes we feel so bad, we don't pursue God anymore, we even forget God. God will take the initiative and he will look for us. And he will ask us, where are you? I don't know if uh, any of you can relate with the failure of Adam and Eve. Anyone here ever fail before? Anyone? Anyone? (laughs) You've never failed before? (laughs) If you're a human being, I'm sure you all failed. (laughs) But can you imagine the epic proportions of the failure that was attributed to Adam and Eve? Can you imagine getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden (laughs) and all these seven consequences of sin because of your failure? Man, that's a lot on your shoulders, right? And if I were to ask you individually, what was your greatest failure? Would you share with us? Okay, let's go ask. uh, (laughs) I'll be too embarrassed. All of us fail, right? But you know, if we have failed in our life, go to God. You know why? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes everything. Did you get that? Even our failures. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Have we failed? Go to God. He can do something even with our greatest failures. God can do something about that. He can cause it to work together for our good. Do you believe that? Next slide. This is why with God as our Father, brethren, failure, No matter how many times we failed, okay? Failure does not have to be final with God. Our failures can even lead to something much better. Has that been proven before? Yeah. Where? Even in the Garden of Eden. Did you know that God caused something extraordinarily beautiful in the Garden of Eden after the failure? In fact, without the failure, we would not have this at all. <laughs> God can do a lot with our failures. And this is what God did. What Adam and Eve's epic failure. What did God do? Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. What were they wearing before? <laughs> figs fig leaves God looked at it Mm, that's not good God gave him some real clothing genuine 100% what leather the first one in the clothing business was not J.C. Penny not Sears and Roebuck it was God right you know before you can have animal skins what has to happen to the animal What has to have with an animal? This is very, very very, very critical here. You got to get this. Not many people get it when they read Genesis 3.21. Before you can have skins of the animal, what do you need to do with the animal? Yeah, you got to kill the animal, right? You know what God is teaching Adam and Eve? God is teaching them how they can be put right with God Again, what do you mean? How is a person put right before God before the second covenant came? Let's go to Hebrews 9, verse 22. Indeed, according to the law, almost everything is purified by blood and and sins are forgiven only if blood is poured out. And so back there, outside of the Garden of Eden, after they were exiled, God taught them about the first religion. What is that? It involves animal sacrifice. Why? So that by means of blood that is poured out, their sins are forgiven. And so God was giving clues to Adam and Eve. He gave them the template for the first process or the first covenant that would come so that man can again have a relationship with God despite his sins. But that was only temporary. Why? Next slide, Hebrews 9, 13 and 15. God had something more permanent about sin. Hebrews 9, 13 and 15. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a young cow could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. For by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the one who mediates a new covenant between God and people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance God has promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of the sins they had committed under that first covenant. So under the first covenant, for your sins to be forgiven, you had to sacrifice an animal, right? This is why during the time of Moses, this is what was done. You had to go through the ceremony. You get a priest, you get the animal, you kill it, pour the blood on the altar for the forgiveness of sins. However, that was not a permanent solution. What was the permanent solution? The new covenant. What does that involve? The perfect sacrifice. Who is that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. This is why God provided the way for man to again return to him. What do you call the process of returning to God again? Religion, it was started way back there, after the fall. God did not abandon Adam and Eve. God provided them the way by which they can return to God. Not only that, God also gave them a prophecy. Did you know that? Did you know God gave Adam and Eve, even in the garden, a prophecy? Prophecy to give them hope. We can call this the first explicit prophecy. It's a very nice prophecy. Genesis 3, verse 15. This is what it says. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. Let's pause there for a while. Who is God speaking to? God is speaking to the serpent. And God is speaking to Eve. Okay? You got to see who's speaking to whom. And I will put enmity between you, serpent, and the woman. And between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is a prophecy. What? Do you see the prophecy there? Do you see the good news in Genesis 3 verse 15? You see it? It's the good news. This is the first explicit prophecy in Scripture. There was an implicit prophecy in Scripture in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, right? Bereshit. This is the counterpart. This is the explicit prophecy about the good news of salvation. There is a promised seed. What will this seed do? He will bruise the head of the serpent, but the serpent will bruise his heel. In other words, the serpent will strike the seed, but it will not be a mortal blow. It's a temporary blow on the heel. But this seed will crush the head of the serpent. What else do we need to know, about, to know about this seed? This is the seed of the woman. It's hinting at the virgin birth. I wonder who the seed is that will crush serpent with a mortal blow. Who do you think that is? Galatians three nineteen twenty two. 22. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was appointed being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Who was that promised seed of the woman? Who is that? Our Lord Jesus Christ. So even before they were exiled from the Garden of Eden, they were given hope, they were given a promise of redemption. The promised seed, the fulfillment of which is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why when the Lord Jesus Christ came, do you know what the Apostle Paul called him? Next slide, 1 Corinthians 15, 47. The first Adam made of earth came from the earth. The second Adam came from heaven. What did Apostle Paul call the Lord Jesus Christ? Yeah, he's a kind of second Adam. Who's the first Adam? The first man. first Adam was the husband of Eve. Who is the second Adam? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is he called the second Adam? Because he is to redeem the first Adam. He is to atone for the mistakes of the first Adam. He will redeem the errors and the sins of the first Adam. What's the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam? One, first Adam came from the earth. He's earthly. The second Adam came from heaven. In other words, he is heavenly minded. This is why you cannot deceive the second Adam. You cannot deceive our Lord Jesus Christ. Why else is he called the second Adam? Romans 5 verse 18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. And so because of one sin, there was sin that was, that was death and condemnation introduced to the world. But because of one act of righteousness, when Christ died on the cross, it brings a right relationship with God. What else is the difference between the first Adam and the second Adam? Why is it called the second Adam? 1 Corinthians 15, 22 to 23, For just as all people die, Because of their union with Adam, in the same way, all will be raised to life because of their union with Christ. But each one will be raised in proper order. Christ, first of all, then at the time of his coming, those who belong to him. What else is the parallelism between the first Adam and the second Adam? Because of the first Adam, all people are going to die. But because of the second Adam, all who belong to Christ will be resurrected or raised back to life that's why he's also called the last adam what else first corinthians 15 45 to 50 for the scripture says the first man adam was created a living being but the last adam is the life-giving spirit it is not the spiritual that comes first but the physical and then the spiritual the first adam made of earth came from the earth the second adam came from heaven those who belong to the earth are like the one who was made of earth those who are of heaven are like the one who came from heaven just as we wear the likeness of the man made of earth, so we will wear the likeness of the man from heaven. What I mean, friends, is that what is made of flesh and blood cannot share in God 's kingdom, and what is mortal cannot possess immortality. Why is he called the last Adam? What is this difference to the first Adam? Well, the last Adam was the first Adam was Adam, right? And the Bible says, when God breathed into him, he became a living. But the last Adam, or the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, he is the life-giving spirit. Do you see the difference? Adam was given the life. Jesus is going to be the life-giving spirit. What kind of life will the Lord Jesus Christ give? Immortality. Life, everlasting or eternal life. That's why he is the last Adam. The second Adam. Next slide. Can the second Adam undo the seven consequences of sin? What do you think? Next slide. What are the seven deadly consequences of sin? Again, pain, suffering, creation, curse, I need to toil, death is appointed, shame, fear, victim mindset. Do you think the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, can redeem the seven consequences of sin? Think so? You know what the answer to that is? Next slide. Apostle Paul says, I love this verse. One of my favorite passages of all Scripture. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with, not just a yes, with a resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. With the first Adam, it was all no. But with the last Adam, with the second Adam, with Christ Jesus, the no's became one. Yes. Yes to everything. The promises of God. Has been all fulfilled in Christ Jesus that's why yes what is consequence number one pain and suffering is that resolved through Christ Jesus yeah next slide Revelation 21 4 he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone forever well how about consequence number two next slide creation cursed Revelation 21 then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Creation curse? No problem. It will disappear, but God creates a new heaven and a new earth. Consequence number three, the need to toil. Revelation 14, 12 13. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently, obeying his commands and maintaining their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this down, blessed are those who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, it's the spirit. They are blessed indeed for they, what does it say? (laughs) They will rest from their hard work for their good deeds follow them. How about consequence number four? Death is appointed. Corinthians 15, 54 to 57. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed, our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting for sin? It's the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord, Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have victory over how about number five? Shame. How does Christ solve that or redeem that? Hebrews 9.14. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify your consciences. He will purify all of our guilt and shame and all that negative baggage. How about consequence number six? What is that? Fear. First John 4.17-18. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect, so we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we will face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. How about the last one, a victim mindset? This is what Apostle Paul says, Philippians 4, and 13. Not that I, have ever, I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with, a, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You notice, apostle Paul did not have a victim mentality, right? I mean, terrible things happened to him because of Christ. He did not say, oh, I have nothing to eat. I have nothing now. He said, I've learned the secret that no matter what I have, I'm content. What was his secret? He says, I can do everything through Christ, who gives me strength. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have a yes in all the promises of our almighty God. This is why we're thankful to God for the last Adam, the second Adam, or next slide, Adam 2.0, right? And there's something I want you to learn about that. Next slide. Adam and Eve failed, right? Right? Did he fail? Oh, big time They failed. But God caused everything to work together for good. God caused Adam 2.0, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be manifested. Right? You know, when we all studied Genesis 3, how many here, even before our study today, knew about the fall of man? Everyone here right? We all know that God planted the garden, God planted trees, and God said to Adam and Eve, do not eat, and here comes the serpent, right? Deceives Adam and Eve, and there's no more paradise, right? We all know that story. But here's my question for you. Next slide. And I want you to think about this question. Did God have a setback in his plan at the garden? (laughs) <laughs> was that a setback when Eve took a bite of that forbidden, tr- forbidden fruit I are going to say apple <laughs> when Eve took a bite of that forbidden fruit was that a setback on God's plan no, no more Jesus Christ and I was thinking about that today I was thinking about that when we read Genesis chapter 3 no. what do you think the devil, did he outsmart Adam and Eve? Did he outwit Adam and Eve? Did he also outwit God? You mean all along God knew this was going to happen? Yeah? You're right. You know, our study, next slide, of Genesis 3 proves that God knew what he was doing all along. Right? God's plan wasn't set back when Adam and Eve sinned because God's plan was to bring forth something greater than man in the innocence of Eden. God wanted more than innocent man. You know what he wanted? Not innocent man. (laughs) What he wanted is to bring forth redeemed man. What is redeemed man? Redeemed man is this being who is greater than innocent man, someone who knows pain, suffering, Before you can appreciate paradise really well, I think you need to taste pain first, right? Before you can appreciate cold water, (laughs) you have to go through thirst first. Before you can really, really develop an appreciation for deep, lasting love, you need to be redeemed. See, what God really wanted was a redeemed man. One greater than innocent man, redeemed. A redeemed man is only possible because man had something to be redeemed from. The devil thought he outsmarted God. No, God outsmarted him. God knew all along that man and woman would fail. He knew that all along because God's end game was not the Garden of Eden, but something much better. You see, even before he created the universe, Bereshit, Ephesians 1, 4 to 5, even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ so that we would be holy without fault before him because of his love. God had already decided through Jesus Christ he would make us his children. This was his pleasure and purpose before he made the world. He already had a plan. Why? Because he knows human beings are going to mess up that we will fail. But he has a son. His name is Jesus. He will redeem mankind so that we can be his sons and daughters again, adopted children of God. This was his plan, purpose, and pleasure even before the creation of the world. Bereshit. And what is God's purpose for us in the end? 1 John 3, verse 2. My dear friends, we are now God's children, but it is not yet clear what we shall become. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he really is. You see, God's plan all along was not to create you human beings who are like Adam. God's plan all along was to create us so that we can become eventually like Adam 2.0, to become like Christ. Right now, we don't know what's that gonna be like. Right now, yes, we are children of God, but it's not yet clear what we shall become. But we know this, when Christ comes, we shall be like him. I can't wait. We may have been outsmarted by the devil, but God outsmarted the devil, right? This is why, As people of God, we should be thankful. We should be thankful to God, thankful to Christ. They know what they're doing. We can trust God and Christ and the Holy Scriptures. So that we, no matter what happens in our life, always remember. God is our Father. And no matter what happens to us, No matter how many times we fail, He will cause all of that to work together for our good. Do you believe that? It's happened before. If He can do that with Adam and Eve, He can do that with our life. Let's all stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting and most holy Father, thank you so much, gracious God, for indeed you love each one of us. Even when we fail, you think of ways to redeem us. Even before the creation of this earth, you had us in your mind. You knew how weak we were, but you never banished us. You looked for us, and you have given us hope. Thank you so much for showing us your plan for including us in your plan, yes. that we, we can become like your beloved son, yes. to be in your kingdom, yes. not here on earth, but in heaven, where we will reside with you forevermore. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Yes. For you have died for our sake. Yes. We worship and serve you as well. Yes. Mediate our prayers to the Father and strengthen always our faith yes. that we can remain loyal to you. Father, may you bless always your people, those who are oppressed and persecuted, including the family of Brother Eran Yamanalo, especially Brother Brother Angel and those who are with him in prison. We ask you, O Father, as brothers and sisters in faith, may you do something. May you set them free, and we will forever praise and glorify you. But we know, Father, you have a purpose for everything. So whatever your will is, We know it is for our own good. Father, please always protect us and help us in every worship that we render unto you. We ask and beg everything, O Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.